Hello, everyone. You're listening to ACC Chicago's podcast, It's All Hearsay, a podcast where lawyers give current news, practical tips, and real stories on legal issues relevant to in-house attorneys. My name is Chantal Kazai, and I'm in-house as Director and Senior Counsel with Discover, and I'm your host. This episode is brought to you by ACC Chicago and Polsonelli, one of our silver sponsors. Crane Chicago Business is planning this year's General Counsel Breakfast on May 17th at the Union League Club, which will include a stellar GC panel addressing what's hot in litigation. Noelle Perkins of Univar Solutions will moderate the conversation on current trends in business and litigation taking a closer look at how general counsels can best manage the risks and challenges in today's landscape. Panel speakers will include Jody Carr of Ulta Beauty, Alan Su of Jones Lang LaSalle, and Darren Zidell of Aon. Polsonelli is a presenting sponsor and Thompson Colborn is a corporate sponsor. The GC Breakfast is open exclusively to general counsels, chief legal officers, and senior in-house counsels. Discounts are available for ACC Chicago members and CLE credit will be available. To learn more about and find out how to attend, visit chicagobusiness.com forward slash events. A quick disclaimer, this podcast is not intended to and does not constitute legal advice. It is for informational purposes only. Listeners are encouraged to contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter discussed in this episode. And visit us at www.acc.com forward slash Chicago to learn more about, like, comment, or subscribe to ACC Chicago and It's All Hearsay. So let's get started. In this episode, we're proud to present... Polsonelli Inside Law, in-house influence podcast. In a moment, you'll hear Barry Alexander and Harry Spiritus discuss it's HIPAA, not HIPAA. Outside the Beltway updates us on the latest policy issues regarding data privacy and security issues, including HIPAA. Well, I want to introduce my uh, colleague, our colleague, Harry, uh, Ileana Peters, and uh, our Washington, D.C. office. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit about uh, Ileana. Uh, Ileana, you're already embarrassed, I'm sure, but uh, say hello to our guest if you don't mind, and I'll give a little bit of background about you as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Barry. It's great to be here. It's, it's, a, it's always an adventure with you and Harry. Well, yes, it is. Uh, And the firm says the same thing as well. So uh, appreciate that. Uh, Anyways, uh, Ileana is our co-chair for our digital health team at Pulsinelli, and she's a HIPAA guru. I got some questions about that. And before joining us, she was the acting deputy director of OCR, the Office of Civil Rights. Do I have that correct, Ms. Ileana? That's, That's correct. All right. So I've got that. That's the right day of the week. Now I've got some questions for you before I just open it up. Okay. Now the, the, the first one I have is you are the first one on every document that goes out to correct everyone as to the proper spelling of HIPAA. So I got to ask, what is the most common misspelling of HIPAA that you see? 
Yeah, it's a fantastic question, actually. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of uh, review of uh, applications when I was at HHS for staff, for my staff um, at HHS, um, and was referred resumes quite often for HIPAA specialists, spelled H-I-P-P-A. And if someone spells HIPAA, H-I-P-P-A, it's a, it's a pretty quick indicator that they really don't know what they're talking about. So um, we always say there's just one P in HIPAA. There's there's no PP in HIPAA. Um, that is a kind of a crude way to remember it, but it works. And HIPAA is right. with one P and two A's. So, that, so if you see someone with two P's in HIPAA, you know they don't know what they're talking about. All right. So that's a very valuable question. HIPAA not to be confused with HIPPO. Now, look, I got a second, and this is actually more serious. Uh, why does the Office of Civil Rights, Civil Rights, handle the primary evaluation of breaches of the HIPAA privacy and security regulations? I always thought it was, you know, I don't know, unusual, it's OCR, but maybe I'm wrong. Can you just give a little bit of quick background why OCR? Sure. It's, it's also a really good question. Um, you know, given privacy is, uh, at least on some level, considered uh, a very important civil right, um, Office for Civil Rights was originally charged way back in 2002 um, with enforcement of the privacy rule under HIPAA. And if you remember, HIPAA was originally about portability of insurance. So the vast majority of those provisions fell under the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services jurisdiction. Right. And the only piece right. that OCR got was privacy. Well, um, the secretary redelegated several years later after passage of the HITECH Act, um, redelegated security to um, Office for Civil Rights and then the new breach um, requirements as well that were included in the High Tech Act. So the secretary made the decision at that time that it just made sense because OCR had the enforcement mechanism to deal with privacy, to redelegate security, and to give OCR the breach jurisdiction as well. All right. So, so Harry, actually, somebody has uh, history as well as, if not better than, than you, just, just for the record. Uh, even though you did cover 1917 and 1920, I, I, that was pretty good, actually. Look, All right, I, I, yeah, so well, would, you know, I'm not, I'm not as old as Harry, so, oh, so um, uh, he has some very few of us. Are. Very, very few of us. It's true. Uh, <laughs> All right, okay. So, <laughs> you, you have you have been settling and dealing with uh, privacy and security issues. And, you know, seriously, what what is going on in Washington, D.C. and the OCR and maybe just nationally related to the incredible number of uh, security breaches of late? It feels like, uh, at least for me, and, and I don't know if it's just me and, you know, my stuff, I keep getting the you need to change your passwords, but it feels like nearly every month, maybe twice a month. I, I'm receiving a letter explaining that my credit information, healthcare information, Facebook information has been breached. Um, what 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 what's going on, you know, in DC and then maybe nationally in terms of the kinds of HIPAA issues uh, that we're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's it's not just HIPAA. It's not just the healthcare sector. Um, you know. 
every economic sector is being affected and uh, including the federal government. So, you know, it, it's basically a, a pandemic of a different kind, if you will. And it is really that we have very aggressive threat actors um, in the digital space, both nation state actors and kids in their basement, frankly, who are looking to make a quick buck. Um, and it's the it's the 21st century equivalent of a smash and grab. So, you know, it, it, it unfortunately has been fueled by things like uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, which is not to say that those aren't great technologies. They just provide an anonymous way of uh, payment, um, which makes trying to catch these folks much more difficult. So our digital environment is significantly different in the last five years than it was even 10 years ago. And there are a lot of opportunities for cyber criminals, unfortunately, to leverage weak data security or even very good data security, but human error um, and, you know, make a quick buck. And at the end of the day, that's what they're interested in doing. And there used to be a bit of honor among thieves. They wouldn't hit healthcare entities or they wouldn't hit education entities. And that's just not the case anymore. Everybody, unfortunately, is fair game. You know, after all the years of requirements for security risk assessments, significant changes in technology, is it the case that uh, whether it's healthcare companies or banks or whomever, that they've not stepped up the technologies as robust as they should or should have? Or is it that the criminals, I think they're criminals, um, Ileana, are just smarter and better than the kinds of security walls that have been in place by these companies, or maybe a combination of both. What are you seeing? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's a combination of both. Um, you know, there are some really, really robust security controls, and there are definitely entities, particularly those in the financial sector, that have done a really good job of, of implementing really robust data security controls. Um, they're all over. Every sector has these kind of, you know, um, really aggressive entities that are that are investing a lot of resources in protecting the data that they hold. Um, and then there are just others that that unfortunately maybe don't have the resources. They don't have the personnel trying to find folks who have an IT security background and know what they're doing is extremely difficult. There's not enough of these these professionals out in the economy. Um, so there's a resource issue both from a money standpoint, but also from a from a personnel standpoint. Um, and trying to navigate this world is very difficult. So, you know, so to your point, it's both. Um, we have some entities that have fantastic data security that are hit anyway. Again, it's that human error because people are still falling victim to phishing attacks, even if their uh, company has really good security controls. And then there are the, the companies that unfortunately haven't implemented really robust data security and are kind of the low-hanging fruit for those kids in their basements. So, you know, it, it's really a, a spectrum of the risks to entities these days. And how is OCR then reacting uh, to these kinds of security breaches? Because as I've worked with you uh, on, on a number of matters, there's that 
unfortunate moment where you have to make a decision and you have to make a report uh, 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 to the OCR, uh, which, by the way, you could you could you could remind the group uh, how quickly that that time clock is. But uh, also curious, just uh, are, are, are they accepting that these new waves of criminals are just stronger than security uh, walls that have been put in place? Or are they, they, they really taking a tough, tough stand in terms of uh, enforcement in the way of fines and penalties? I always do multi-part questions, but if you could just remind us also of, of how quickly that time clock uh, is from the moment you have the, uh, oh my gosh, moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's scary. It's real scary for all of our clients, and um, you know, and that's why we work closely with them on all of this stuff because it's again hard to navigate. Um, your point about timing is really key. Um, you know, from a federal perspective, under HIPAA, if we have an incident that was discovered to affect 500 or more individuals, we have 60 days to report to individuals, um, HHS, and the media. Um, you know, to the extent it's fewer than 500 individuals, you have a little bit more time at 60 days after the end of the calendar year. So we're approaching the uh, filing deadline for those breach reports that affect fewer than 500 individuals for last year. So really good for listeners to be reminded that, you know, end of next month, they got to get all their reports affecting fewer than 500 individuals into HHS OCR. Um, it's also a really important point to make that the state attorneys general also have HIPAA jurisdiction and have been very aggressive in this area too. Mm. So it's not just HHS OCR, it's also the state AGs. And in some cases, as you know, Barry, the FTC gets uh, gets involved too. Um, so we have a lot of different authorities that are interested in this, in this space um, and particularly in the data security controls that were in place before the incident occurred. Um, OCR has been very aggressive, to your point. They automatically open an investigation on every breach affecting 500 or more individuals. So if you report a breach to OCR, as you're required to do under the law, if you have a breach affecting 500 or more individuals, you will, at the very least, have to expend resources to have one or more conversations by paper, by electronic um you know, uh, electronic data exchange or by phone with an investigator in HHS. Um, you very likely may have a conversation with someone in the state AG's office too. So even if you don't reach the point where you're considering settling um, asserted civil money penalties um, with either HHS or, or looking at some kind of a settlement with a state AG, you're still probably in it for several months, if not several years. Um, in terms of an investigation with the regulator. So that in and of itself is, an, is a burden. Um, and these, you know, investigations take a lot of time. They take a lot of resources. And to the extent you end up in a situation where OCR has decided that for some reason, um, your particular situation is a good example for the industry, then you have to deal with the civil money penalty question, um, whether you're going to settle, whether you're going to pursue administrative remedies, um, you know, and, and how you're going to move forward with the regulators, both at the state and federal level. So a lot of challenges with enforcement. 
Yeah. So given given the the volume of reports, undoubtedly that OCR is receiving at this point in time, what what is the normal life cycle? You you use the word years. Uh, how how long are you seeing these matters from start to finish? Or maybe how long can they go? Yeah, sometimes they can go six years. Um, the statute oh of limitations gosh. is six years. And in some cases, HHS takes the full six years for a particular investigation. So again, it's definitely not a sprint here. It's a marathon and, you know, making sure that uh, clients understand that um, is, is an important part of the conversation because it's really, really difficult to tell in any particular case where the regulator is going to go. Um, you know, you could get uh, a situation where they do one data request and they're satisfied with um, the response and you get a technical assistance letter or some other kind of closure letter, or you could be in it as we are with some of our clients um, on, uh, you know, the 16th or 19th data request um, over a series of years. So it, it really is a, it really is a facts and circumstances dependent analysis and um, OCR definitely uh, takes their time on these matters. I think it's Area. really interesting as, as we move forward, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some legislation that's going to be coming down um, and, and debated. Uh, the user fee acts are going to be debated here in the next um, few months. And I, wonder if there will be anything uh, with regard to data or data privacy. I don't know if, I don't know if it's particularly germane uh, to user fees since we're dealing with FDA and not CMS, Eliana. Is there any light you can shed on that? I mean, is, is, does FDA play any kind of role in, in uh, you know, the, the harvesting the data or making sure that the data is safe? Well, certainly the FDA is very interested in data security controls as well. When I was at HHS, I worked really closely with um, the team at FDA on, um, on, on these very sorts of issues, you know, ensuring that um, devices particularly um, have good data security built in because of the potential for adverse events that can result from some kind of uh, threat actor, you know, interfering with the uh, with the device that maybe, for example, a networked device. Um, and so we're having a lot of conversations with clients about remote, um, uh, you know, remote access to devices, including those that are um, uh, FDA regulated. And the FDA is getting more involved with applications as well. So not not just devices, but applications that also. Um, maybe, you know, considered a quote unquote device from the FDA's perspective. They generally are more, much more interested, of course, as I said, in adverse events and the effect that a cyber attack could have on how a device functions and how that um, may impact uh, a patient um, in terms of an adverse event. Um, but, you know, they are very, uh, they work very closely with their colleagues in CMS and um, OCR and the Office of the National Coordinator, um, as well as the folks at SAMHSA who have, you know, very um, uh, specific interest in enforcement of data security mechanisms. So while FDA may not be directly enforcing 
you know, data privacy and security controls that, you know, except from a, um, you know, a, a approval process perspective, they are certainly in the mix and talking with the other agencies at HHS that do regulate those, those issues. Well, that so raises maybe- a fo- follow-up then. Yeah. For, the, for, for those of us, I'm sure you who enjoyed reading proposed final and revised HIPAA privacy and security rules, do, do you see any pending reopening of any significant issues, regulations, policy guidance uh, in the next few months or maybe even in 2022? Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. So um, some of your listeners may know that um, OCR does have an open rulemaking at the moment. Um, actually, a couple. Um, the accounting um, uh, accounting final rule is still open. OCR had, has not finalized that even back from the High Tech Act. So that's still an open rulemaking. Unclear where they're going to go with that. We also have a sharing of enforcement penalties with quote unquote harmed individuals that rulemaking is still open and has been since the High Tech Act. Um, and then the most recent rulemaking effort, which is what I think you know, you're contemplating here, Barry, is um, revisions to the rule to address sort of ongoing issues. Um, again, we are in the comment phase of that rulemaking. So OCR published a notice of proposed rulemaking is reviewing comments at this time. Comment period has closed, has been closed for a couple of months now. So they're looking at comments and drafting, um, you know, their next steps. What, what that looks like, I don't know. I assume a final rule, but who knows? Um, and in that notice of proposed rulemaking, they um, included several different items, you know, a few of which are very non-controversial on some level. That is, you know, getting acknowledgement of a notice of privacy practices and a couple of other sort of um, straightforward changes to the privacy rule, the HIPAA privacy rule. But there are a lot of changes that they proposed with regard to patient access, which, you know, Barry, uh, you know, as well as I do, given our, um, you know, uh, work with our clients, that patient access is a is a hot button issue, not just at OCR right now, but also in many states. Patients, patients rights are, are a very um, hot issue for state legislators as well. So um, OCR is looking at patient access and patient rights as part of this open rulemaking. Um, And it it will be very interesting to see how they come out on some of these issues because some of what they've proposed is frankly very confusing. Um, And uh, our clients had a lot of issues in terms of how some of those proposals were meant to be implemented if they are finalized. So we're really interested to see what happens there. And then we do understand that they're coordinating with SAMHSA um, on changes to 42 CFR Part 2, which is, uh, if you recall, the um, requirements that were passed in the 70s related to substance use disorder and information about substance use disorder treatment. So um, we understand from SAMHSA that there has been some efforts there as well on another rulemaking related to data privacy and security, um, specifically with regard to 42 CFR Part 2 also. And OCR has obviously been advising on that too, um, in terms of sort of streamlining those part two requirements um, more with HIPAA requirements. So a lot going on in the rulemaking space and a lot to look for from HHS in that respect too. 
do you see what I mean, Barry, when I said combined? I know what you're going to say. I know. Combined. combined. Okay. Combined. Right? So. I, I'm not even sure why we're, why we're sitting here. We might as well have just let Ileana do the whole program today. Awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. I mean, completely. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I oh mean, we're going to, we're going to. It's now, way now, more so, fun with you, though. Uh, so look, when these, now here's, this is serious. These rules come out. Do you like lock yourself in a room, close the door and, and like read them, you know, like that day? Tell you the know, truth. the last one came out and I was on a plane. So the short answer is yes. I didn't have anywhere to go. So oh. I was in a tube <laughs> and read, read the, I think it was the NPRM. So, um, so generally what we try and do, frankly, is read it and digest it enough to where we can get a legal alert out for our clients. You know, obviously we want to make sure everybody's aware of what's going on and can, and we can advise our clients on that. So, so there, there is a goal. It's not just a, you know, reading for reading sake, uh, you know, experience, but, um, but certainly we do, you know, our, our data privacy and security team, when something like that occurs, we all buckle down and try and figure out what's going on, what we need to alert clients to and where the pain points are going to be. Yeah. So that's a night to make a big bowl of popcorn around your house and just enjoy federal rules. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, I can't join you on those evenings. I have passed the torch on reading all HIPAA privacy and security rules. Uh, Harry, is uh, I can see you you intently focusing on perhaps a final question for no, no. I, look I, with Ileana, it's it's she lays it all out, and it's and it's so clear and so concise. Uh, that's why I really, I, I love working with her. And, you know, anytime I, I have the opportunity to work with her, I will work with her. She is, she is fantastic. Oh, well, Ileana. Oh, thanks, Harry. <laughs> a little, 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 little clap there. Little clap. Okay. So I know that there is some data breach incident that we need to let you get back to for one of our clients. And I just got to say, I mean, I'm, thank you. So, so Ileana, let me just say this. When Barry is speechless, that means you've done something <laughs> incredible, okay? Yes. Because the man can talk, okay? It's Barry's world. We're all just living in it. So you, you hit it out of the park. Oh, well, thanks. Well, it's been great fun. I really appreciate the conversation. And um, I'm excited to continue to work with you both on, on these really complicated issues. Well, that's, uh, that's exciting that you're willing to come back and work with, work with us just generally in the, uh, in the firm. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to make you commit. I'm going to make you commit today, today that you will join us again soon when these rules come out or when there is a major development at that point in time in the near future. Can I get your commitment? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and uh, get back to it. And uh, it's been awesome. Thanks, Eliana. Awesome. 
Thanks for listening to ACC Chicago's It's All Hearsay. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on HIPAA, brought to you by ACC Chicago and Polsonelli, one of our silver sponsors. Remember to register to attend Crane's General Counsel Breakfast at the Union League Club on May 17th to hear an insightful conversation on current trends in business and litigation. CLE credit will be available. More information on how to register can be found at chicagobusiness.com forward slash events. Be sure to tune in next time as we bring you even more content. As always, if you like what you heard today, visit our website at www.acc.com forward slash Chicago to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources for It's All Hearsay. Like, comment, or subscribe to our podcast, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at ACC Chicago. That's it for this episode, folks. I'm your host, Chantal Kazai. See you next time.